Wisdom Eccentrics by Nakhchang Rinpoche. Good evening. Chapter 26, Part 2. Rinpoche had picked up the fact that I had been ruminating. Yeah, do not worry now, there is nothing you can do. Dudjum Rinpoche remains with us and he is powerful. He loves the Gurkha Changlo day as his own sons and he does much to help them. It is when he passes that you must be careful. Yeah, now there is more to say. You have heard of Migu? You call them Yeti or Abominable Snowman. Rinpoche laughed at the term Abominable Snowman. Oh yeah, detestable, offensive, repulsive, repugnant, too funny, revolting, loathsome, nauseating, abhorrent, hideous, disgusting, really too funny. Anyway, there is much to tell. Dolkiense and his disciple Ursel, I mentioned him earlier, travelled to the old mountain hermitage of Zara Latse. They took with them only those things that could be loaded onto a horse. It was a long haul, a steep and winding trail. After an hour the horse went lame and lay on the ground. Dokiense wanted to reach the hermitage before nightfall, and so he told Ursel, stay here with the horse and find some water so he can drink. I'll go to Zara Latse and send help. Don't worry, young lad, you will have my protection. As requested, Ursel stayed put and found water for the lame horse. Then he sat and watched as Dolkiense ascended and passed out of sight. The track that led to Zara Latse is merely a trace that leads through pine trees. The country there is wild and teeming with wildlife. Ursel was somewhat nervous about being left on his own, and darkness was descending. By some quirk, soon after Dokiense departed, the horse revived and got to his feet. It commenced nibbling the grass and seemed back to normal. Ursel considered following the trail that Dokiense had taken, but he'd been told to stay put. Not the best situation in the world, but he had no choice. It was soon utterly dark, apart from Ursel's small fire, over which he was brewing some tea. He reassured himself by remembering that Dokiense had said he would send help and that he'd soon see a group of disciples to lend their support in the situation. He attempted to practice to gain a little calmness of mind, but he started hearing large wild animals away in the trees. Then a large being covered in red hair stepped out of the trees. Ursel was terrified. The yeti didn't speak or make a sound, but moved slowly towards his fire. Although partially frozen with fear, 
Ursel offered the Yeti a bowl of tea. The Yeti accepted. So there they were, Ursel and the Yeti. They sat by the fire and drank tea. Ursel remained highly anxious, unsure what would happen next. When nothing untoward occurred, Ursel rose and went to get some blankets from the back of the horse. He organised sleeping arrangements for the Yeti and himself, and, incongruous though it was, they both lay down close to the fire and went to sleep. Neither spoke, but Ursel found it hard to sleep next to the Yeti. Still racked with anxiety, he made supplication almost continuously to Dokiense. Just gone midnight, Ursel was startled from sleep by the loud growling of some animal and the frightened whinnying of a horse. He looked around to attempt to identify the source of the fearful sound. A tiger leapt from the trees and was about to maul the horse when the yeti killed the tiger by flinging a stone at it. I must tell you about this stone, Rimshay commented. This stone is a special stone shaped like an egg and yetis keep this stone in their armpit all the time. Then, if they are in danger, they throw this stone and it always kills their adversary. Have you ever seen a yeti, Rinpoche? Oh yeah, but never close. My uncle had the skin of a yeti hanging on his door. And they say that there was a live yeti that was kept in the small zoo in Lhasa. I don't know whether this is true. Have you seen? No, Rinpoche, not live, but I've seen the scalp attached to part of a skull and hand of a yeti that they keep at Tiangboche Gompa near Everest. Yeah, many people have seen yetis. It was not so strange for Tibetans, anyhow. The yeti carefully skinned and cleaned the tiger skin and placed it on the horse's pack. He then came back to the campfire which was still warm and went to sleep alongside Ursel. In the morning, however, the yeti had disappeared and Ursel wondered whether the events of the night had merely been a dream. As he was speculating about the event, he turned round and saw the tiger skin. Yes, it really had happened. It had not been a dream. Ursel then decided that he'd better head off in the direction of Zara Latse. He didn't want to spend another night out there with tigers and yetis. And even though the yeti seemed benign, Ursel found himself in a jittery state. Ursel eventually arrived at Zara Latse and found Dokiense in the meditation hall, asleep on his throne. Dokiense was sleeping deeply and it took some while before Ursel was able to wake him. 
Dokiense was not in good humour when he finally awoke. Can't I get any rest? You've prayed to me all night long. All night long. It was impossible to sleep with all your concepts flying around my ears. Even when I sent the Yeti to protect you, you were still calling to me. Get out of here, you goddamn Tomyor. I'm exhausted. Go away and let me get some sleep. Ursel knew he'd acted like an idiot and went outside immediately to fetch the tiger skin, which he laid out where Dokiense would see it as soon as he'd caught up on his sleep. Dokiense greeted Ursel on waking and treated him with great kindness, which made Ursel reflect on his previous lack of confidence in the promise of protection that he had been given. Ursel resolved not to be an idiot in the future. After that time, whenever Dokiense stayed at Zara Latse, the Yeti visited him, bringing offerings of food. The Yeti became his disciple, but remained extremely shy of other people. The Yeti would only converse with him and his sister, Candrolo Sodroma. One day the Yeti took hold of Dokiense and respectfully placed him across his back in order to carry him away into the woods at the side of Zara Latse Mountain. The assembly of disciples saw what happened but were powerless to act due to the fact that the Yeti ran too fast for them. The Yeti took him to a cave and placed him carefully on the floor. Left alone in the cave, Dokiense found a heap of rilbu, Tibetan medicinal pills, on a stone. He ate a rilbu, rilbu each day and never felt hunger or thirst. One day, at dawn, the Yeti returned and lifted him onto his back again and carried him down the mountain and back to the hermitage. While Dokiense was gone, his retinue of disciples were wrapped with anxiety that he'd been thrown off a precipice or mauled by the Yeti. When they saw him return, they became almost hysterical and clung to his robes. He told them, The wonderful Yeti gave me a great gift, rilbus made by Guru Rinpoche, together with the 25 Siddhas of Chimpu. Everyone was grateful to the Yeti after that and treated him with great kindness whenever he appeared. Sometime after this incident, Dokiense called to Ursel, who was accompanying him, and said, Now we will leave Zara Latse, but I shall ride the horse and another will be brought for you. Are you a good rider? I'm sort of average, replied Ursel. That's neither here nor there, Ursel. You will ride well today. So they set out down the rough track, each leaning backwards to assist the horses in their descent. They'd ridden for somewhat less than an hour when Dokiense said, It is a long journey and it would be better if we were already further on our way. 
Do you see that river way down there? I see it, Rinpoche. That's where we should be. Ursel did not know what to make of this comment and sat astride his horse, wondering what would happen next. Dokiense looked Ursel in the eye and said, If you have confidence, and if you are the hero I take you to be, then you will dismount and drive me and my horse over the brink just here. My horse will not jump into the abyss on his own. After the Yeti scenario, Ursel knew that he had to act with confidence. So he said, Yes, Rinpoche, I'll do as you ask, even though I don't understand what will happen. With that, he dismounted, tethered his horse, and approached his llama, whose horse was standing by the brink. Ursel had to startle Dokiense's horse in order to make him jump, but with a violent heave, the horse, with his llama still astride, vanished over the ledge. Ursel looked at the river below and saw nothing. Dokiense and his horse were evidently dead and submerged in the torrent. Ursel let out a gut-wrenching scream. He'd killed his Tsawai Lama and it was not worth his living another moment. He untethered his horse, mounted up and rode some way back up the track he'd just descended with his Tsawai Lama. When he'd gone a suitable distance, he turned and galloped his horse to the brink. His horse didn't see the brink due to the lay of the land and plummeted into the ravine. Oh yeah, so now there is a large boulder by the river at the bottom of the ravine and to this day there's an imprint of a man and a horse on its surface. I have seen this. What do you think of this? I've seen the island circumnavigate the lake here in Solpema. So, I added, ideas of possible and impossible have no fixed meaning for me. Yeah, good. So, when Ursel landed, he found he was not hurt. The boulder was like a pillar. Dokiense and his horse were waiting downstream as if nothing particularly bizarre had happened. After that strange event, no one ever fell off that precipice again. There are many accounts like this of Dokiense Yeshe Dorje. Do you think it would help you if you had seen wonders like this. I considered this question for a moment because there were various answers, each predicated on different aspects of my experience as a practitioner. Well, Rinpoche, I don't think I need to see anything like this in order to have confidence in you or in Vajrayana. But that doesn't mean that such experience could not be helpful. It strikes me that the Lama has to set the thing up in any case. It's not just a matter of seeing something miraculous. In fact, 
wanting to see something miraculous could be a big obstacle. As far as I can understand, Vajrayana doesn't require miracles in order to prove its efficacy and you don't need to manifest miracles to assure me that you know my mind and the nature of mind. Rinpoche took a sip of his beer and wiped his moistened lips with his forefinger. Some things in the way of your Western thinking are very good, but maybe not this long beard, Rinpoche laughed. As soon as I can get my hands on a beard trimmer, Rinpoche, I'll set to it, be assured. It'll be gone before I come back to see you next year. Oh, yeah. Then many candros will be coming. But you must only take one wife. I think I can promise that, Moshe. Yeah. If you take more than one wife, this causes many problems. Always fighting and other problems. And anyway... I do not think it is allowed by law in the West. No, Rinpoche, it's not. I wouldn't want more than one wife in any case, because my wife would also be my best friend. Oh, yeah, this you say very well. The day had been darkening, and Rinpoche showed no sign of concluding our time together. Tonight we have momos and you will eat with me. I also have whiskey. It's not good whiskey as you have from Scotland, but it is not so bad. Anyhow, it is good to drink whiskey with momos. That was just fine by me. I thanked Rinpoche and he said, I've already sent a message to Kunchog Rinpoche to say that you will dine with me so no need to be concerned. Rinpoche talked with me about all kinds of things that evening. He gave a long account of the miracles of Dolkiense, but he advised that I make no notes. Later I wondered why, but I can see that Rinpoche was only interested in my taking notes when there was some need in terms of principle and function. The miracle stories were presented to me, as far as I can see, purely out of his kindness and as a statement to the effect that he no longer regarded me as a goddamn idiot.